to the great detectives of old-time radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. I do want to encourage you to check out my wife's business, Ashira Eclipse. You just go to LilaRose.biz. That's L-I-L-L-A Rose.biz slash Ashira. And she has a wide variety of different hair clips, hairpins, and headbands. They are designed to fit the style and taste of a wide variety of different women. And they also come in different sizes to fit different hair types. They make a great little uh, gift, and there are so many different uh, styles available. You can check it out. Go to lilarose.biz. That's L-I-L-L-A rose.biz slash Ashira, A-S-H-I-R-A. Well, folks, uh, we're going to get into an episode of Sherlock Holmes. And we're actually going to go earlier than we've ever gone on this uh, podcast. And hear a Holmes actor we've never heard before, Richard Gordon. Richard Gordon came on as Sherlock Holmes in the fourth episode of the series back in 1930 and played uh, Sherlock Holmes for more than a hundred episodes between 1930 and 1933. This episode doesn't have an opening or closing credits, but the story itself is complete, and we also get the introduction from Dr. Watson and his friend uh, Joseph Bell in support of their particular sponsored George Washington Coffee. The original air date, March 15th, 1933, and the title is Death at Stonehenge. Don't you very well. You caught me just as I was about to make our coffee. Well, don't let me interrupt. Nothing short of a fire or an earthquake could stop this ritual once I get started. Lid off the can. Teaspoonful of Steve Washington's coffee crystals in your cup. And in mine. Now pour in the hot water, just to show I still remember how. There we are. You know, after three years of making those two cups of coffee, I almost think I could do it in my sleep. Probably. It would taste just as good as it does now, because Steve Washington has been through toil, and he just can't go wrong. You don't have to convince me, Dr. Watson. I've been sold on G. Washington's ever since you first introduced me. No, Mr. Bell, you're not going to try to stop me talking about my favorite coffee. I may not have to persuade you to try G. Washington's anymore. <laughs> I did say not. I use it at least three times a day. I'm one of your best converts. Oh, I should hope so. After all the trouble I've taken on you. <laughs> However, I have a sneaking suspicion that there are still some of our listeners who've never tried it. In spite of all my ballyhooing, and I'd like to have every single one of them get just one can and test it out for themselves. Right. I suspect that in spite of all our praise, E. Washington coffee speaks for itself. Oh, yeah. Is that a gentle hint for me to get on with the story, Mr. Bell? Now, Dr. Watson, you know, I wouldn't say anything as rude as that. No, but you might think it. Perhaps you're probably right at that. Well, now for our story. I think I'll tell you the one about the adventure that befell Holmes and myself while we were on a 
vacation in the late spring of the year 1889. But when you say uh, vacation like that, uh, am I supposed to imply that the term was a misnomer? Yes. Matter of fact, it turned out to be what we call a busman's holiday. Holmes and I had gone down to the little hamlet of Claveley on Grafton for a few days fishing. What we caught in our nets wasn't trout, but a brutal, bloodthirsty... There I go again, getting ahead of my story. Well, as I was saying, it was in June of the year 89. Holmes and I had had rather a hectic winter. Professor Moriarty, that super-intelligent criminal and madman, had been giving us a run for our money. He'd managed to upset most of his major activities, however. It was, as you may well imagine, a task fraught with no little danger. It must have been sort of nerve-wracking, Dr. Watson. It was, Mr. Bell, it was. Holmes, who could ill afford it, was growing thinner and thinner. His nerves set to the breaking point. Finally, when during the first week in June... Moriarty nearly finished us off by the charming expedient of letting loose in our house a rat infested with bubonic plague. What? Luckily, Tabby, Mrs. Hudson's cat, caught it first thing. Poor beastie died a horrible death, but we were saved. Well, when I realized afterwards that Holmes was on the board of nervous hysteria, well, I put my foot down and said London could go to blazes for all of me, but we were going to take a vacation. To my intense surprise, Holmes offered almost no objection. He must have been in a weakened condition. Exactly. So a few days later, saw us comfortably installed at the Crown of Roses. Crown of Roses? Yes, that was the euphonious title of Cavalry's one and only inn. But a pleasant place it was, too. Excellent veal and ham pie. That's <laughs> nothing to do with tonight's adventure. Well, uh, where was I? You were staying at the Crown of Roses. Well, oh, oh, yes, of course. Well, well, there we were, all loaded down with fishing paraphernalia. You know the sort of thing a man buys in his weaker moments. And then never gets round to using. <laughs> Fancy flies, intricate reels. But as luck would have it, we never had the opportunity to try any of them out. Well, anything that keeps the fishermen away from fishing has got to be pretty exciting. Well, yes and no. In the first place, it rained the entire first week of our visit. Now, that was tough luck, Dr. Watson. Well, the fish didn't agree with them, No, I suppose not. I'm not sure that I do either. Holmes, as you doubtless realized by this time, was never the field and stream type. And the, the zale bullet in my leg had an unpleasant way of picking up a fuss in damp weather. So we just stayed indoors. Holmes slept most of the time. Rain on the roof. One of the best sulfurifics. As for me, I caught up on my scribbling, so taken all in all, time passed rather pleasantly. Might even say profitably. Five days had gone by with Holmes showing no interest in anything but sleep and food, when suddenly, to my surprise, he appeared in mine host's bar room at about closing time, the evening of the sixth day, dressed for the out of doors, his fore and aft cap pulled down over his eyes, his voluminous ulster. Turned up about his ears. Uh, there you be, Dr. Watson, just in time. He was about to close up for the night. What will it be, sir? Brandy and soda, I think, Mr. Finnan. That ought to keep the chill out till morning. <laughs> yes, sir, there be. Nothing like a good bullet in a brandy bottle to chase the fog out of your bones in a night like this. 
No, indeed. She's out of pick tonight, isn't it? Like a blooming blanket. There you be, sir. How many customers tonight, Mr. Pennant? That there be Dr. Watson. Who be going to go stumbling about in a bog like this, not knowing where he'll end up? Some big style, like as not. Only had two customers tonight, sir. That ornery of color... That there bird feather that's been wandering around here with his telescope and young Dr. James. They're both a wee bit cracked, if you ask me. Man must be crazy to be abroad on a night like this. Yes, I quite agree with you. Uh, you can expect me back for breakfast. Oh, I thought you were asleep. What in the name of common sense do you think you're going? Just a little stroll, Watson, just a little stroll. Thought I'd go and take a look at the monolith. Monolith? Holmes, you have your mind. Not at all, Watson, not at all. Pulse quite normal, also my temperature. So it's no good getting out your thermometer. And furthermore, I refuse to stick out my tongue and say, ah. I'm quite rested, entirely refreshed, just a little bored. So I thought I'd just stroll around and take a look at the druid stone. I believe they're about a mile and a quarter from here, Mr. Penny. If it be Stonehenge, I mean in a mile down the road and a quarter of a mile across the plains. That'd be right, sir. Yeah, you see, Watson, you see. Druid stones are in this vicinity, so don't look so incredulous. Stonehenge. Hmm. I have an interesting theory about those giant stones. Surely you didn't think trout fishing was the only thing that lured me to this desolate place? Mr. Holmes, cleverly on Grafton, be one of the picture spots of England. Possibly, possibly. I can't say that I care much for pictures, particularly landscape. No, no, it's Stonehenge I'm longing to see. Yes, but Holmes, why not wait till tomorrow? These rocks have been there for centuries. They're not going to run away. You're quite true. There are definite conditions under which certain places are at their best. Venice in the moonlight, Scottish lakes at sunset, and Stonehenge, Stonehenge in a mist at midnight. And the date should be June the 21st. June 21st? The solstice? You ain't telling me today's the 21st? No, but it will be at midnight. Lord have mercy. Don't he go near the stones tonight, Mr. Holmes? Ain't lucky. Why not? The night be the night they'd come back. The devil worshippers that built the place. And there'll be some as say as old Nick himself go court there this night, sir. Splendid. Well, we haven't been formally invited, but what do you say, Watson? Shall we pay our respects to his uh, satanic majesty? Eyes like a cat. The sixth time I've stepped off the road into the ditch. Home. Home. Where are you? Well, he might have told me. Not let me go on plowing. Steady, steady. There's a fence. You can't walk through it. You'll have to climb over. Oh, so I discovered. Lord, the ground is wet. You must be there by midnight. You speak for yourself. I never wanted to go any place less than. Oh, I heard someone climb over that fence after it and land in the mud. Wonder. Yes, I want to go about on a night. I do that watching it. Oh, 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 oh
You barbaric columns of stone searching up out of the talk. Yes, yes, that's an inexplicable, fantastic thing about them. The tremendous size. We all know they form some sort of a druid temple. But how did they get here? There's only country for miles about. It's perfectly flat. There's no rocks of this size or construction anywhere in this terrain. Now, where did they come from? Who brought them here? Small wonder the superstition grew up that this was a temple to the powers of darkness, that the devil himself placed these stones. Oh, I wish you wouldn't talk like that. Not now. This looks so queer in this light. Those stones have a curious white glow. Yes, yes, the mist must be clearing a bit. It's the moonlight trying to shine through to give everything that curious phosphorescence. Oh, oh, oh. I think there's someone hiding behind that nearest column. I feel someone looking at us. I think it's safer to stay away from those green rocks. Come along, come along, let's move over to the center of the circle. We don't want to add to stolen now, what do you mean? No one knows the building about the Druidic form of religion. The ceremonial altar was surrounded with great secrecy. It's believed, however, that time they made human sacrifices. Most of these sacrifices were made on one day, the dawn of the day when the sun reached the northernmost point in the heavens, the solstice. That was their great feast. On that day, and that day only, the rising sun shone between those two highest pillars directly on this stone in front of us. It was the second altar on which the victim had been placed. What a barbaric lot. Let's get away from here. The mist is rising again. It's so thick I, I can hardly breathe. See how many dark, horrible Name what's that? I don't know. It's over here. The altar. We've got to find out. Ralph, were you hurt? Ralph! Holmes, the place is haunted. Look, look, look. There's a shadow striding away from the altar rock. Ralph, where are you? The place is certainly more popular than you expected. Here's the altar. Here, here. Oh, I'm not going to find out. Wait just a minute, just a minute. It's wet, like macaroni. Oh, here, give him the leaf. An elderly man, his head bashed in by a piece of rock. Shock for young girl, the sight of that. Uh, uh, we carried you to the crown of roses. Oh, I... Oh, easy, easy. Oh. Don't try to sit up yet. Oh. Penny, have you any coffee in the house? Yes, sir. The white cloth among the stones now. Nothing like a good hot cup of black coffee, I always said, when you had a shock. 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 And it's true what I told. It wasn't a nightmare. Father. It's your father. Whom do you mean when you say he? I, I don't know. Was it Ralph? 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 What do you know about Ralph? Who are you? What are you doing here? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and I'm here to solve the murder of your father. But I don't know who did it. I don't know. Perhaps not. But you suspect. But I don't know anything about it. Why don't you leave me alone? Help me. 
girl alone is mere hysteria. You can catch me her tomorrow. Too late. The murderer will have escaped by then. I don't care. I don't care. Why do you keep looking at me like that? Dear young woman, do you realize that if you continue to steal the person you suspect of being guilty, you will be held as an accessory to the crime? But, but that's not possible. There was no one else. I was the only one there. There wasn't anyone else. I swear it. You realize what you're saying? I... If you were the only person near the altar rock when your father met his death, then you must have killed him. Holmes, really? But I didn't. It was my father. I didn't kill him. Yeah, then. There was someone else. Someone whom you had promised to meet, perhaps. No, no, I went there alone. Well, why did you, a young girl, go to the altar rock in the middle of the night? Well, I... I... Ralph, where did you come from? It's all right, Mary. I, I was in the city of that town. I, I was sleeping. Oh, Ralph, you... You've been drinking again. Mary, don't look like that. I, I can explain. Here be the coffee, Miss Mary. Why, Dr. James, I thought I told you to lie down in the back parlor. Uh, I'm sorry, Miss Mary. Sorry I had to see you like this. It's all right, Mr. Penny. It's no surprise to me. Father warned me Dr. James was a drunkard. That's why he made me break off my engagement. And now Father's dead. Oh, don't pretend to this, you know. He was killed at the altar lock a little before midnight. He must have found out I promised to meet you. But uh, I, I wasn't there. I know I wrote you a note say I had to see you, but when the time came, I, I couldn't go. Because huh? you were too drunk. Oh, what does it matter why? I swear to you, Mary, on my word of honor, I wasn't there. <laughs> Mary, Mary, don't you believe me? Don't touch me, you stupid Yes, he was, sir. I bound and narrow-minded. Ralph! Now, now then, Mr. Sturgeon, I take it that you and Dr. James were engaged to be married, eh? Yes, we were. We've been engaged two years and a half, up to... up to yesterday. And what happened yesterday to make you change your mind? He, he came back, Mr. Holmes. Came back? Yes, you see, I, I'd been in Africa working with Dr. Bittner in the Congo. I was trying to save some money and get enough of a reputation so Mary and I could get married. It was two years of hell. But I saved my wages and then I was offered a post in Egypt, a good position, one a man could marry on him. So I came home to get my bride. My daughter was late. I was supposed to reach Southampton yesterday morning. But it docked yesterday afternoon. It docked by the time I reached Cavalier. I, I didn't wait a minute. Just left my bag here with Mr. Penny and ran round to the next as fast as my legs could carry me. wanted to be here tonight, he'd be here. Probably off somewhere celebrating his return. Father, you know Ralph isn't like that. And they're all like that, this younger generation, heading straight for eternal damnation. Oh. The things I've heard about what go on in some of those African settlements, 
native women. Liquor. Father, sometimes I think you have the most lurid imagination. Imagination? You don't know human nature. Why isn't Ralph here if he isn't gallivanting? Father, please, he'll get here. There he is now. Oh, Father, it must be. Mary, for heaven's sake, remember you've had a decent bringing up. I'll go to the door. No, no, I'm going. I don't care. I'm going. Ralph. Ralph, darling. Father, what's the matter? Why, you look so white. Close the door, can't you? Rain falling into the house. Want to drown us? So, that's the way you've come back. You run so good for nothing. For the Lord's sake, give me a drink. What do you think this house is? You've been away so long, I guess you don't know how to act in a decent society. Well, let me tell you, no daughter of mine is going to marry a drunkard. Mary Ann. Get out of here. Get out, I say. If I ever catch you talking to Mary again, I'll have you run out of town. Mary, let me... Get out! Very well, then. I'm going. Before I go, I've got something to say to you. You call yourself a minister of the gospel. Tell you, there is that genius that the heathen has more Christianity in his heart than you, and your narrow-minded, soul-splitting principles. Your head is straight to Hades, and may your soul spread its father until you get there. <laughs> Say that, Dr. James. Yes, yes, I'm afraid I did. You see, I... Well, I wasn't myself. So today I sent Mary a note begging her to meet me tonight. I wanted to explain things. And she father must have suspected something and followed me. Oh, so terrible. If only I'd heeded his warning. He'd be alive. They wouldn't have met. But Mary, I didn't kill your father. I swear it. I was here all the time. I, I think I can prove it. You mean you have an alibi? An alibi, yes, that's it, Mary. If I can prove an alibi, will you believe me? Oh, Ralph, if only I could. But it's so easy. Mr. Penny, what time did I have supper? We're long enough towards nine, Dr. James. We've been out in the bog, scrambling about up to then. Yes, I was nervous, sort of figuring out how I'd actually explain things to Mary. You see, I didn't want to frighten her. It must have been about half past nine or quarter to ten when I when I had that first sinking spell, wasn't it, Penny? Why, yes, sir. That's when I gave you that swig of whiskey and told you to lie down in the back parlor and you sort of, well, gripped it off. And then I come out and saw Dr. Watson here. That was shortly after ten. Holmes and I set out to Stonehenge a little before eleven. And I went in to make sure Dr. James were all right and bound and wrapped up in my wife's best Afghan sleeping it off, as you might say. Then I went up to bed. The church clock was striking eleven as I went up the stairs. Eleven. I still left you plenty of time to get to Stonehenge before twelve. Well, Dr. James. Well, at about ten past eleven, I, I woke up and looked at my watch. I remember I had to get to Stonehenge at all costs. Mary was waiting for, him, for me, you see, and I tried to pull myself together. I got up and managed to get as far as the door somehow. The minute I stepped out into the fog, I started trembling from the cold. I went as far as the gate before I, before I collapsed. I realized then I'd never make it, so I crawled back into the house as best I could. I was, I was just taking that whiskey bottle down off the shelf. Oh, Mrs. Ralph. Oh, I had to, Mary. I was shaking from head to foot. Well, just then, Mr. Penny here came downstairs and saw me. Well, I'd come down again to make sure about the back door. We got to Lotton once last week, and... It's on my mind, as you might say. Well, Mr. Penny gave me a drink and helped me into the back parlor again. There was a fire there, you see. I needed the warmth. What time was it when Mr. Penny got you settled in front of the fire for the second time? I, I don't know absolutely, but my little excursion down the road couldn't have taken long. Ten minutes at the most. It must have been about, 
about 11.20. Oh, no, Dr. James, sir, we're after 12. But a good 25 minutes after 12. It couldn't have been. I wasn't gone that long. No, oh, take pardon, sir, but from your condition, I'd say you wouldn't be liable to remember just what did happen. But from 11.10 to 12.25, I... Good Lord, I must have fainted at the time I fell down at the gate. Over an hour. Oh, no, no, it's not possible. Oh, beg pardon, sir, but anything be possible to a gentleman in the state you was in. Oh, Doc, then, then maybe you went to Stonehenge after all. You, you killed father. Oh, and, now, and now you can't even remember. Oh, Ralph. Oh, easy, easy, Mrs. Person, easy. Now, let's not jump at any conclusions. I have a few questions I'd like to ask. First of all, Dr. James, was Mr. Penny completely dressed when he helped you into the back parlor the last time? Why, yes, he was dressed. Dear me. And yet he says it was 12.25. And he went upstairs to bed at 11. Hmm. How do you explain that, Mr. Penny? He don't know what he's saying. I weren't dressed. I were in me nightshirt. I see my telling of He don't know what was going on. Interesting, very interesting. According to your testimony, Dr. James is out in this insufficient weather for over an hour. And yet his clothes are quite dry. Even the soles of his shoes are only slightly damp. Yours, on the other hand, are completely soaked and covered with mud. And they were bone dry when Dr. Watson and I left you earlier this evening. What do it matter about me, you? That don't prove anything? Not by itself, no. But coupled with the fact that you were so anxious to break down Dr. James' alibi. That makes the whole matter seem a trifle suspicious, don't you think? I don't know what you'll be talking about. But wasn't you by any chance who followed us to Stonehenge? It wasn't you who mistook Mr. Preston's father for me in the fog? Yes, he was about my size and wore a foreign ass cap. Why? Yes, I suppose you're going to tell me that you're not Mike the Slasher, one of Professor Moriarty's men, the head of the gang of Robert and Cutthroat that's been holding its meetings at Stonehenge at midnight, knowing that no one goes there after dark. I tell you. You I tell know. me nothing. I've attended four of those meetings so far this last week. Oh, yes. I know you thought I was safely tucked away in bed, Watson. Sorry I had to fool you like this. No wonder you slept so much in the day, Dan. Yes, my dear Mr. Penny. I think I have enough evidence to hang you and several of your little playmates. At least that won't be as unpleasant as what would have happened to you. And Moriarty discovered you had bungled tonight's job and killed the wrong man. Oh, yeah, don't oh, you I move, agree. don't move, I warn you. Watson, escort this gentleman to the back parlor with a constable and coroner are waiting for him. Right. And uh, you'd better take this revolver. Absolutely. Now then, uh, come along, uh, you bloodthirsty yellow slippers. Uh, oh. oh, Mr. Holmes, I, I can't thank you enough for killing now. I, I should have had more faith. Yes, Mrs. Burton, one should have faith in those one loves. The fiancé is not a murderer, nor, may I add, a drunkard. Mr. Holmes. No, if I read the symptoms correctly, he is suffering from a malarial fever. Yes, I contacted you several months ago in Africa. A few days they thought I wouldn't pull through. Oh, Ralph. It's all right, Mary. I'm well out of danger. Only malaria isn't so easy to get out of your system, you know. I still run a temperature now and then. Mostly in the evening, eh? Yes, Mr. Holmes. That's what I wanted to explain to Mary tonight. Only one of my attacks hit me just at the wrong time. Nonsense. It was a lucky thing for you, young man, that you couldn't get out. Well, it was Mr. Penny's attempt to break your alibi that convinced me that he was the murderer. Welcome back. Well, Watson certainly in this particular radio iteration is an aggressive seller of uh, George Washington coffee. Usually in these setups, and what you would see later on, is the announcer would be the guy who sold and gave 
uh, all the information, and Dr. Watson would uh, sit by. But you had just a really strong voice. Like, you got to get this uh, George Washington coffee. It made me want to get it, even though I <laughs> don't think the brand is around and I don't drink coffee. Um, and it's also worth noting that there were other episodes from this particular run that were available. Uh, and when I received this one, however, they tended to be, uh, bits and bobs, little parts of multi-part stories, but no more than one part of any particular serial, and those were serializing the uh, novels, so this was the only one that was complete in and of itself. Uh, I thought that uh, the portrayal of Holmes was very uh, different, and it's hard for me to, I don't connect with it, but I'm not saying that, you know, given a few episodes, I couldn't feel a bit more home with this Holmes. But this episode doesn't do it for me. You can also really hear the kind of uh, acting approach that was so popular back in the 1930s. With a lot of melodrama and theatrics. With a lot of moments being a bit over the top. That's not at all atypical uh, for the era, although as the airmail mystery show, there were already some programs that were moving beyond that sort of uh, approach. It's great to have as like a historical artifact uh, to have an idea of how Sherlock Holmes was played back then. Uh, and if you've ever noticed on our Sherlock Holmes feed, the Sherlock Holmes episodes begin with episode 14. That's because the first two episodes, 4 and 9, that related to Sherlock Holmes were presented to me as Richard Gordon episodes, but turned out to be a more modern production that was under copyright protection, so I deleted those two episodes. So... It's good to have this in here, even if it's not the best episode of Sherlock Holmes. I hope you enjoyed just the historic uh, nature of the program. Now we turn to some listener comments and feedback. And we have a new review, uh, actually two new reviews on the Apple Sp Store. And we have Peter from Australia, who writes, I'd like to thank Adam for all his hard work and keeping us entertained. Please keep it up from Australia. Well, thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate it. Uh, and then we also have a review from Polyplane. And this review was actually posted on the uh, Sherlock Holmes feed. So definitely appropriate. I'm really enjoying these old-time radio shows. I'm uh, just a bit too young to remember listening to them. But I can see why they were so popular back in the day. Well, Thanks so much, and yeah, it's always important to remember that these programs were made for listeners in their own time. Well, uh, now I want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Russell, Patreon supporter since November 2016, currently supporting the show at the Master Detective level of $15 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support. Well, that will actually do it for today. 
If you are enjoying this podcast, I do encourage you to uh, review it and rate it wherever you download your podcast from. Join us back here tomorrow for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And then next Thursday, we'll be bringing you Mr. Keen's Tracer of Lost Persons. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives, and over on Twitter at Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.